Good morning. Uh, tonight, today, we're going to be reading from Mark 13, so I'll give you a minute to get there. And then, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what matter of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now even as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign that will, when all these things will be, be fulfilled? And Jesus answered them, saying, beginning to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and he will deceive many. But when you hear of wars, rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are all the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will be brought before the rulers, and the kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will say, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not what it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So when you see that abomination of desolation spoken of, the, of by, by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought to be, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in his field not go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, but for those days that will be in the tribulation, such as not has been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And there goes my tablet. <laughs> Maybe I should have got an iPod. Can I read print? <laughs> uh, I forget where I was. Let him who is uh, Judea flee to the mountains. Let whom is on the housetop not go down to the house, nor enter or take anything out of his house. Let him into the field, go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of creation which God crea created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened these day those days, no flesh would be saved, nor the elects, but for the elect's sake, for whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there. Do not believe it, for the false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, 
See, I've told you all these things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon will not give in, give its light. The start of the heaven will fall, and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest parts of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but by my words, but my words by no means will pass away. But at the but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going into a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants to each of two and to each of his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowding of the rooster, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Least morning least, coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. I think that's it, Lord. I thank you for uh, I thank you for a safe Hallelujah night, Hallelujah uh, Halloween night last night. We had uh, fun, and I thank you for the opportunity to serve. And I thank you for this morning. I thank you for you, uh, our family that's here. And I just ask your anointing on the word today, and uh, we just uh, we just. Thank you. Help us to watch for your coming and to be alert. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Man, the blessing of electronics. And then the curse of it. So today we're going to be looking at that chapter beginning in verse 14. So uh, I just want to invite you to take a look down there and remember where we've come from. Sometimes when we start taking uh, little or bites out of a big section of scripture, we start, start to lose context. So remember it all begins according to Matthew chapter 23 with Jesus saying to those in the temple area, see your house is left to you desolate. And that phrase uh, carries through to chapter 24 when the disciples say, look at these incredible buildings. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not one will be left on another. It's all going to be destroyed. What's he telling them? Everything that your life has been built around since you were a child is going to change. The, the temple is coming down. The new covenant has been ushered in. Things are radically changing. And so when they went, they walked out the eastern gate. Remember, they walked down the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives. Jesus sat down, probably under an olive tree. Maybe even in, in the Garden of Gatshmoni. It's a place where he liked to go to pray. He sat down and the disciples came to him and said, When will these things be? Now we know what they're asking. But a lot of times when we come to these particular chapters, we're quick to put all of these verses to us. I'm not saying they don't have an a effect or a thing to tell us. But don't remove it from the disciples. When is this going to happen? Jesus, when's this gonna, when is this temple going down? When are you coming? When is the end of the age? They got three different questions that they're asking him. And as Jesus begins to 
to unravel uh, prophetically the, the events that are coming. He, he, he's already given them two warnings we've already been through. When you hear, first, when you hear wars and rumors of war, when you hear these things, when you hear false Christs, when you hear uh, a spiritual deception, you need to be aware. The end's not yet. Those things must be. What's he telling us? Fallen man is always in a state of rebellion against God. And as long as man's in a state of rebellion against God, there's going to be war. As long as man's in a state of rebellion against God, there'll be false Christ. False teaching. So he's given those warnings as we come down to, to verse 14 of, uh, of the gospel of Mark chapter 13. And it says this, so when you see, now he's saying when you see, right? A minute ago is when you hear. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And woe to those who are pregnant and those uh, who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless the Lord shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, you can hold your finger there, but let's flip over from the Gospel of Mark to the Gospel of Luke. Same section of scripture we're, remember we're looking at this uh, in all the synoptics working our way through the way to get the whole picture especially in events like this that is being uh, told by all the, the gospels is to say to take a look at them all because they all had different focal points so what is it that Luke says let's look at it Luke says Luke 21 beginning at verse 20 but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then you know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. We pick it up in verse 15. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on a housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight might not be in winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been. Since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So we have this event called the abomination of desolation. And there's a lot of discussion and uh, disagreement over the abomination of desolation and what events are being spoken of as we look at scripture here. And a lot of times, we, we, the, the, the ground that we're breaking here today is a ground called the eschatology. It means the study of last things. The study of the end times. So the idea of eschatology is it's impossible not to have a view. Because you come to scripture like this, and your eschatology reads into it and tells you what it says. But when we do that, we're doing it backwards. Aren't we? If I have a view already and I come to this and I say, well, then that's what this means. This means the view that I hold. And everybody does it. 
Everybody. There's nobody who does it. Don't absolve yourself. Everybody does it. It's just part of the humankind. Here's what I don't want us to do. We don't break fellowship over these things. We don't fight with our brother over this. Sometimes I hear people say hateful stuff when they talk about eschatology. Hateful stuff toward the view I hold or hateful stuff toward their view. Or Don't we got enough enemies to fight without fighting with each other? So the, the key ingredient when we come to scripture is to let scripture tell us what's it saying. You tell me. And then it's my job to let the word of God change me, not me change the word of God. Right? Don't we say that? When we come to the Word of God, and the Word of God says something, a hot-button topic for today, the, uh, the homosexual marriage. Is the Word of God cloudy on that view? Not cloudy on that. So what do we say? That the Word of God's got to change our culture. Now, why is that different if we come to a section of Scripture when we read about the destruction of Jerusalem, or the tribulation, or the Antichrist, or the abomination of desolation? Why would we say... We shouldn't have let the Word of God tell us what it's saying. I can read it just like it says. And I, I shouldn't have to do gymnastics with the Word, right? I should just be able to take a look at what's being said, consider what's going on, and how do I reconcile it? The Bible, Paul told us that we're to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, Right? So if we want to know, if, if, if we want to know the whole counsel of God's word, and you're expecting Calvary Chapel Buell to do that for you, I'll give you the breakdown. New Testament on Sunday morning, Old Testament on Wednesday night, uh, apologetics on Thursday night, we got studies on Monday, Tuesday, and I don't think we have one on Friday. So if you want to start one, that'd be great. So if, we, if you come, you'll get the whole word. But if, the, if, you're, if your design or plan or purpose in understanding the whole counsel of God is to come one day a week and you're going to get it all, you're not going to get it all. Now, I'm not saying you've got to come here to get it. Where else can you get it? Your own living room. Isn't that great? You don't have to leave the comfort of your house. However, you will have to take the Bible out and open it up. It won't by osmosis crawl into your ear and settle in your brain. So we want to take the whole counsel of God's word, right? That's how we deal with issues. That's how we answer problems. So for roughly 2,000 years, people have been disagreeing over this section of scripture. You might be the missing piece. You might have the eyes. You look at it and you go, wow, look at this, so easy. After today, I might totally confuse you. And you say, I've never been so confused until I heard Jackie talk. Hopefully, that's not going to be the case. Hopefully, it's going to challenge you to want to know. So let's, let's start with the simple part, right? As I'm working my way through this Bible study, I come to this phrase. There's a thing I'm supposed to look for, right? When you see what? The abomination of desolation. Two of the Gospels call it an abomination of desolation. The other one says what? When you see... Jerusalem surrounded by enemies. Interesting, right? Now, when we look at this, please don't lose sight of the question of the disciples. What do they want to know? When is this going to happen? When is my world radically going to change? Now, is Jesus going to go beyond that and tell us more? Sure he is. But what was their question? When is this going to happen? You just rocked my world. You said this house is going to be desolate, which means the temple is going to be empty. Nobody's going to be there who worships God. All the people, true worshipers of God, will flee. That's what the desolation was. They're all going to bail. When's that going to happen? And then beyond that, he said they're going to tear it all down. That's that is like it. I don't even know how to compare it in our culture. Be like somebody saying they're going to take apart Washington, D.C. And there's not going to be nothing left there. Now, maybe that would be a good thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I know for sure one way or the other. But it was shocking to them. Everything in their life was built around this building 
in this time. Well, let's go. Let's delve in a little bit. The abomination of desolation. Two of the Gospels told us it was spoken by somebody. You remember? The abomination of desolation spoken by who? Daniel the prophet. So guess where we're going? You're right. Let's go to Daniel. So first we're going to start in Daniel chapter 9. And don't worry, I have about 47 hours in these three or four verses. So if we don't get through it all, we'll pick it up next week. You don't want to miss. Listen to what he does. We go to Daniel chapter 9. We want to understand the phrase, abomination that uh, brings desolation. In, in the Greek, the word is delegma. It means that's abomination, something repugnant to God, something that God hates, detests. And then the second word, desolation, suggests because of the abomination, everything is deserted. All the worshipers have bailed. Now let's look at Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 25. If you studied prophecy at all, it's a familiar section of scripture to you. If you haven't studied prophecy, it's an exciting section of scripture for you. Now here's what we tend to do wrong. We meaning preachers. Preachers tend to come to stuff like this and say, and feel like you can't handle it. So I'm just going to tell you what to think. And I've actually taught it that way before. I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to expect you to think for yourself. I'm going to expect you to, to, to decide. There's multiple views, right? So we're going to discuss those things honestly. What are, the, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses of those things? So when we come to Daniel chapter 9, there are two primary views. There's probably a lot of other ones, but there's two primary views when we look at Daniel chapter 9. Uh, they can be described this way. A futurist view and a preterist view. A futurist view would see Daniel's, the 70 weeks of Daniel looking forward to a future event. Not all of it, obviously, but the 70th week in particular. A preterist view would see all 70 weeks fulfilled in a row, straight as we work our way through. They both have a kickoff point that Daniel talks about, that we're going to work our way through. So let's look at it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street will be built again in the wall even in troublesome times. So we begin this, um, we can actually back up in the whole chapter, but it would take me forever. I actually got to get through Mark 13 at some point. So we want to understand the abomination of desolation. We got to look at this. Know therefore and understand. When they talk about the sevens or the weeks, it's the same word like we would use decade. You guys with me? So when it says there are 70 weeks determined or 70 sevens determined, It'd just be like if we said 70 decades, only 70 decades would be 10 times 7 instead of 7 times 7. Are you guys with me? So, so if we look at it, 77s are determined, 7 year period of time. In the Jewish mind, they don't run in decades. They run in the concept of a hepstead or a 7 year period. 7 days in a week, 7 year period, the Sabbath was on the... Seventh day, the, what year was the Sabbath year? Seventh year, okay? So we, we're constantly working off of sevens. So in their mind, it would be similar to the word decade, only rather than meaning ten, it means seven. Okay? Seven years. So know therefore and understand from the going forth, command to restore and build Jerusalem. So that's our kickoff point, right? When does the command come to go and restore and build Jerusalem? Now, most people will say there are four decrees that, are, that have been issued during the Medo-Persian Empire. If you remember in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are charged by Artaxerxes to go and rebuild the temple and to go and rebuild Jerusalem. So they look at the decrees and they try to figure out from those decrees, where's the kickoff? Where do we start counting from? Because he says we can count all the way to Messiah, right? So from the going forth to rebuild, the people are in exile, okay? And they're getting released. Now they were taken into exile by Babylon, but Babylon got conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. So we have Artaxerxes in charge now. So there's four different decrees. 
But in reality, when we get down into it in study, three of those decrees deal with rebuilding the temple. Only one of them seems to deal with rebuilding Jerusalem. But the one that looks like it rebuilds Jerusalem isn't a decree. So there's some disagreement. So there are two ways to solve the problem. One was done by Sir Robert Anderson. Sir Robert Anderson came together and he said, here's how we're going to deal with the problem. The decree that we're going to count from is March 14th, 445 B.C. It was made by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. You can read about it in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start counting from then. It means 483 years that are going to take us, 483 years are going to take us to the Messiah. But then Sir Robert Anderson, realizing that that overshoots the number, he says, but we're not going to count 365 day years. We're going to do a prophetic year. So we're going to count a 360 day year. There is some discussion about the calendars all around the world changing from a 360 day year to a 365 day year. But, but that's hard to prove. It's not hard to teach, but it's hard to prove. So... Sir Robert Anderson says, 483 years takes us, you've heard me say this before, April 6, 32 AD. So if Sir Robert Anderson's right, it's a little late to 32, it should probably be closer to 30. But a couple of years we could make mistakes and add in or figure things funny. Sir Robert Anderson's mathematic equation is rather complex. But we come down to April 6, 32 AD, so that would be close to the time Jesus came into the temple and was presented to the priests uh, just prior to Passover. So we have Jesus coming in. So you have your 483 years, your 69 weeks of years leading to the time of Messiah. Now the bottom line is, every way you do it comes to Messiah. But there's another view. The other view says, well, we can't count from 445 B.C. That can't be the kickoff. We need to go to 458 BC. We're going to start from 458 BC and we're going to go from the decree of Artaxerxes to Ezra instead of Nehemiah. Because not only does Ezra go and rebuild the temple, but he also begins the work before Nehemiah gets there on the streets and the walls. And if I go from that kickoff and I count the 483 years, I come to 26 AD. And the year 26 AD, they point to the event of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And they say that lands right there at the baptism when he begins his earthly ministry. Boom, he's there. There he is, Messiah. It lands right on the mark. Either way, you come to Jesus Christ. You guys with me so far? But, and both ways are rather complicated. This is how it works sometimes when we, when we try to work our way through what's going on with Scripture. But we know He's pointing to Messiah, right? So no matter what, whatever the kickoff day is, 483 years to Messiah. We're in the time of Messiah. Okay? Alright, so then we come from Messiah. Now look what it says. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So He divides the 483 years into 62 sevens and seven sevens. So there's something significant about the seven sevens that marks it apart. And no matter which view you go by, it took them 49 years to rebuild the wall and the streets of Jerusalem. So the seven sevens talk about the time period it took them to get the wall back up. You can read all about it in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. To get the streets all secure so that the people would have a safe place to stay. And then 62 weeks from there, still the 483 years brings us to Christ. Now look what happens. It says, <clears throat> after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be karat, cut off. It's the same word God uses when he talks about the law and he says, if a man murders a man, he shall be karat, cut off from the people. What was it? He's going to be put to death. So here Daniel says, Messiah, after some period of time after he comes, he's going to get put to death. You with me? We see that in Jesus Christ, right? But Daniel 9 only works with Jesus. You, you, if it's not Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do. So it's, it points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that he's going to die, right? Messiah will be cut off. What's the next phrase? But not for himself. Not for himself. 
That means it's not going to be for his sins. Who did Jesus die for? He died for our sins, right? He's our sacrifice. He ushers in the new covenant, right? That Jeremiah 31 talked about. So we have this work happening. Okay, so Jesus, we see the sign, Messiah cut off, not for himself. And then the next phrase. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we have a destruction of Jerusalem, right? Now, do we know who did that? Yeah, we don't. This, this one, this date's nailed. This is Titus Vespasian destroying the temple in the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Okay? So Daniel tells us the people of the prince who is to come are going to destroy. So who destroyed the temple? We know who it was. It's the Romans. The Romans destroyed the temple. The Romans destroyed the temple. So there's a, another character hinted at there, right? The people of the prince who is to come. Another Nagid. Another ruler. Another person. Out, out somewhere out in the future. Uh, he will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So what's that mean? It says what's going to happen? The city's going to be destroyed. And then like a flood rushing through the city, all the Jews are going to be scattered. How long did that happen? Yeah, all the way in 1948, right? That's a long time. Well, just about 2,000 years, give or take a few. So, he says that this, the city's going to be destroyed, the temple's going to be destroyed, Messiah's going to be cut off, he's going to die, not for himself, uh, but the, Isaiah tells us, for the sins of the people, he's cut off, then the people are going to destroy the temple, and the Jews are going to be scattered. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's what happened. Daniel writing roughly 400 years before all these events take place. So as he's laying it out, he says, Then in the end, he says, But in the middle, oh, then in verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week. See the word he. That is where all the struggle starts. Who's he? In my opinion... The easiest place to take the he is the people of the prince who is to come. That's the closest reference backwards, right? If you look at the verse, if I go up with that he to who's a person, oh, the prince who is to come. There's only two possibilities. It's the prince who is to come, that's the he. Or it's the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the king. Has to be one of those two. And the difference between the preterist and all other views of eschatology and the futurist, which sees these things further, is that exact issue. Okay? So for the, for the futurist, the futurist is, would be where I stand. I don't want to influence you. Do what you want. But I don't know. I've got to explain it, right? Everybody understand? I don't have to explain as I see a bunch of eyes going like, what did he just say? Okay. So, the futurist is saying, all these events, all the way to the 69th week, they've all happened, right? We know Jesus died. We know the temples was, was destroyed. But there's a pause. How do I know there's a pause? Because when I get to the 69th week, the 69th week is not, does not have to be the death of Jesus, right? We said the 69th week was when he came into Jerusalem. So then the death is somewhere in a gap, right? From the 69th to the 70th. Somewhere in a gap, Jesus dies. He raises again. The church is instituted. And we see the 70th week as that great tribulation we read about earlier. Everybody with me so far? The great tribulation, but I just want you to recognize this. The only place in the entire Bible that talks about a seven year period of time that could be the tribulation is Daniel 9.27. Only place in the Bible. Lots of places that talk about great tribulation. There's places that talk about 42 months, times, time, and a half time, three and a half years, that's brought up often, right? One place that talks about seven. 
Daniel, 70th week. It's only one. Now, don't let that freak you out. There's only one place in the Old Testament that uses the concept of Messiah. You know where that's at? Daniel chapter 9 uses the word Messiah as a being person coming. The term Messiah means anointed that's used a lot for people getting oil dumped on their head. But the person, the noun, Messiah, Daniel chapter 9. Huh, funny thing. Oh, what about this concept, the new covenant? That phrase, new covenant, you know how many times that's mentioned in the Bible? In the Old Testament? Once. Jeremiah 31. So don't let, it don't got to be mentioned a hundred times for it to count. God only has to say it once, right? In the beginning, Genesis, when God said, let there be light, did he have to say it seven, eight times? How many times did he say it? And then what's it say? Light was? Oh, because he's God, right? Because he's God. So, I digress. Let's go back. So, we have, that's the hinge. He. Who's the he? Let me back up and give, let you see how a person who sees it all past, it's already accomplished. Let me show you how they see it. They read through Daniel's 70th week. We come to the 69 weeks of years, the day Messiah comes. They point to the baptism. He came, Jesus was baptized, there he is. He's baptized, that begins uh, his ministry. Three and a half years from that point, you have his crucifixion. So when we come to the he, let's look at it. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. They say... That's Jesus. He's confirming the new covenant with many, whosoever will. He's confirming the covenant for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. How did Jesus bring an end to sacrifice and offering? He died. When he died, he became the last sacrifice and offering, so there's no more sacrifice and offering. In the book of Hebrews, it said, these things are slowly fading away, But by 70 A.D. they were gone. Jesus does away with sacrifice and offering when he dies in the middle of the week. And then it says that there's going to be desolations determined. So Jesus dies in the middle. The church is born shortly after that. The church is protected by the hand of God in Jerusalem for three and a half years. And at the end of those three and a half years persecution comes upon a particular person. We read about it in Acts chapter 7. What was that guy's name? Stephen. So persecution comes on Stephen. Stephen is killed. Then the next verse in the Bible says, great persecution came. And what happened to the church? (laughs) Went everywhere, right? The church spread everywhere. So their point is, there's no gap. There's no stop. The one who, who ushered in the covenant was Jesus Christ. He ushered in the new covenant. He put away sacrifice and offering in the middle of the the 70th week. At the end of the 70th week, the Judeo-period eon age ends. The age of the Jew stops, and the age of the Gentile and the church moves forward. That's how they answer the questions in the 70th week of Daniel. Now, I still see the gap. I still see things going on. You're going to say, because when we look at it, remember I told you, how do we have to look at it? How much of it do we have to look at? Just, just one piece. Should we look at it all? Should we reconcile everything? So when we go back to Mark and Matthew and Luke, Luke told us <coughs> about the destruction of, of Jerusalem, right? And very specifically told us, when you see him surrounded, get out. Right? That's a good time to get out. Now if I go to Mark... And I go to Matthew, they say, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not be, even if I want to do some gymnastics and make that the Roman army on the temple mount, it's too late for me to run. Isn't it? What happened to the Jews? By the time the army was on the temple mount, what happened to them? 600,000 were already dead. Luke says when you see him surrounding, when you see him coming, when you see him working, get out of the cities and fly to the hills. And he specifically, every one of those warnings are specifically to the Jews, aren't they? 
The abomination of desolation says all who are where? In what area? All who are in what area? Judea. Where did Judea go? To the mountains. Doesn't say all those in Southern California. Does it? Doesn't say all those in Southern Idaho. Does it? It says all those in Judea. You think it means Judea? So he's, de he's definitely speaking to the Jewish people, right? He's speaking to the nation of Israel. One event says when you see him surrounding, get out. The others say there's something else going to happen. There's some other kind of abomination of desolation. And it's not, it, it's described by Matthew and Mark as a person, a he. The tense of the, of the verb is not, is not neutered, it's masculine. It, it brings about the idea that they're talking about a person. But Luke's not talking about a person. Luke's talking about what? All the armies, right? When you see the armies surrounded, get out. But Matthew and Mark are saying, no, there's a, there's a person. There's a person that we want to be watching out for. Now, why is it that we have multiple Gospels? They're all telling the same story. They're all telling us about God's condescension, Jesus, God coming in the flesh, dying for our sins, rising again, justifying us, sanctifying us, glorifying us, establishing the church, and sending us out. But they're all written to different people. For different purposes, with different emphases. That's why it's important when we study that we don't just go one place. We don't just look at one verse. We look at it all. What are they all telling us? So Luke is telling the people, hey, hey, you guys, I'm answering your question. When is it going to be destroyed? When you see the armies coming, get out. Right? Get out. Matthew and Mark, when they're looking at it, they point to another event. An event that I believe is future. Well, why do you believe it's future? It seems to fit so neatly. I know, I wish it did. I wish I could just put it all in a little envelope and say, look how easy that is. Bloop, 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 bloop. Oh, it's perfect. Wouldn't that be nice? How many, how many things in your life work out like that? Is there a lot of them? Some of you guys are really, though, you're organized, huh? So my life is not like that. My life is like <laughs> somebody sneezed. <laughs> I got stuff going all over the place. Alright, so, so as we want to reconcile this, and I got a lot of other places I need to go to in Daniel, but it's too late. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you the why I still see the 70th week as a future event. Okay, you guys hang on with me. We're going to keep building on this in the next couple of weeks. Can't cover it all in, on one Sunday, especially this Sunday. So... So what I want you to do, we're, we're going to leave Daniel 9, and we're going to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When we study the Word of God, we have got to study it all. Not one piece, not one verse, not one part. What does it all say? Because a lot of times, a lot of events like this particular thing, it's talked about a lot. It's all over the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at these 10 verses. I won't spend a lot of time explaining them to you. You're going to have to come back next time. But I'm a, I'll pick up right here. I'll pick up at Daniel 9, quick review. We'll move through Daniel 11, uh, Daniel 12, and we'll take a look at some more at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, picking up at verse 1. But I just want you to see it. I just want you to see it. Look what it says. Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by a letter as if from us. So apparently there were false letters, false teachers, false concepts. Jesus told us about that, right? So, so that's what we're seeing in reality. That's what's going on in Thessalonia, in Thessaloniki. Uh, and as though the day of Christ has already come. So they were thinking the day of Christ had already come. Now they're not, they can't be talking about the day of the Lord. Why can't they be talking about the day of the Lord? Well, there's fire and smoke and the sun's out and the moon's dark and everybody dies. Right? Do we miss the second coming of Jesus as lightning flashes from the east to the west? When Jesus comes back, nobody misses it. 
So as though the day of Christ, he's got to be talking about another event. We'll, we'll bring that up next time. But let no one deceive you by any means, <coughs> for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first. You guys have heard this before, right? And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The man of sin, son of perdition, pseudo-Christ, anti-Christ, all similar terms, similar phrases. Look what it says. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. Now so far, that applies to every Roman Caesar there ever was. Until we read the next phrase. What's the next phrase say? So that he sits as God in the temple of God. That never happened in 70 AD. In 167 BC, we'll talk about it next time, a, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes came, destroyed the temple, sacrificed a pig on it, put a statue up, and declared himself to be God. And Daniel talks about him exactly like he did it in Daniel chapter 11. So we'll look at that next time, okay? So we'll see that character who is a prefigure of the character we're reading about in 2 Thessalonians and the character that I think Matthew and Mark are pointing to. Because they both say the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not be. Now I definitely think you can make reference to that being the armies coming, but you can't make the reference to the armies on top. Otherwise, the warning to flee is too late. Right? So, here he goes. He says, he's going to sit like God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there's a restrainer keeping us... So don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. There's a restrainer. That can't... You can't you're not going to know. And nowhere in the Bible does it say, figure out who the Antichrist is. We, we, we have a job. Don't we got a job? End of Matthew 28. What did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So Go. And make disciples of every nation. Go. So we, gotta re we have a job. Right? But Jesus is saying, look, I'm telling you these things before they happen. So you know. Look, see, I told you. And then he says, that what I say to you, I say to all. Watch. Be ready. Be aware that we're in war. We're in a battle. Are we not in a battle? Come on. We turn on the news. We can tell we're in a battle, can't we? You walk outside. Can you tell you're in a battle? Can you tell that there is a real enemy? That there is... A movement that is against Christ? Sure, we can see all those things happening. So what did he tell us? When you hear all that stuff happening, don't freak out, because that's not the end. So what's he mean? Keep working. Keep going. But there's an event, he said, when you see this, that's time to run. But did he say it to us in Judah? Do we live in Judea? So we're probably not going to see what's going on in the temple here, are we? Probably not. Uh, when we get a little further into it, you'll see why. But we might have, you know, nosebleed seats where we can watch it. But we won't be watching it from here. So <clears throat> he's laying these things out. Okay. So we've got to know. <laughs> we just got to go. <laughs> All right. So the abomination of desolation, what is it? It's an event. In Daniel, if you read Daniel, the description is of a person, but the, the abomination of desolation is not the person, it's what he did. Okay, you with me? So it's an event, it's something that causes desolation in the temple. Next we got to know, what are the people supposed to do when they see it? How do I react to it? What do I do about it? And those are things we're going to have to chew on next time we get together so hopefully i i know i haven't solved all your problems but listen we look at the whole bible look at the whole council we bring it all together because in a few verses we're going to hear jesus say this generation shall not pass away till all these things have been fulfilled 
And you're going to have to decide who the generation is. The generation Jesus is talking to? Or a different generation? Or does it mean something different? We're going to have to decide as we look at all the pieces and how they come together. So hopefully next week we'll get to that. Amen? All right. Stand with me and we'll pray. <coughs> i got, I got to leave you wanting more. Then maybe somebody come to church next week. So one or two things are going to happen. They're going to say, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I'm never going back. Or I want to hear how this all wraps up. I hope the latter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. And I pray, God, that you would instill in each of us, God, that there's a, a desire that each of us know, that we understand, that we comprehend, that we're able to put the pieces together of what your word declares, the whole word, and that we can defend where we stand and why we think like we think and how we see the pieces come together. And the only way that we can defend it is we've got to know your word. We've got to be in your word. We've got to understand all the aspects it's everywhere. And God, you want us to know. You want us to desire to understand. You want us to comprehend. So God, as we look at this, I pray that we wouldn't just say, look, I, I just want the, the simple answer, but we would say, ah, oh, I really want to know. I really want to know you, God, because you wrote a letter to me. You put my name on the front of it, and you said... Jackie, this is for you. This letter is for you. And everything in this has application to your life. And I want to understand it all. I want to know it all. It's one of the ways that I can show that I love the Lord my God. With all my heart and all my mind and all my strength. So God, I pray that you would just help us to, to dive in, to delve in, to know and to want to know. And then to be glorified that we see the reason we study this is not to freak us out, not to worry us, not to make us panic, not to think, oh no, I don't want this to happen or that to happen. That's not why. Why do we study it? So that you, we can hear you say, the end is not yet. Go. Make disciples. Know that you're in a battlefield and there is a real enemy and they're going to come against you just as they come against God's people since the beginning of time. But don't let that make you quit. Don't let that make you stop. We need endurance. For he who endures to the end shall be saved. Man, God, we just... Uh, we just want to grow and know and understand. So move in this place, God. Your spirit would open our eyes and our minds that we would comprehend fully what you're laying out to us, God, and be glorified in this place. We seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>